Welcome to The Barrel Banter, a show covering all things Milwaukee Brewers. From trades to signings, player analysis to game recaps, or discussing uniforms, ballpark food, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Goh. Hello, Brewers fans. Welcome to The Barrel Banter. I'm your host, Peter Goh. Coming to you live, David. We're here together. Live. Live. Yeah. Live. as Close enough to live, yeah. I guess, uh, in, in podcast world. But coming together here in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Excited to bring another episode to you. So, David, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, we have this time the, the first episode of 2023. Uh, we're recording this, though, in 2022. <laughs> so I will have to say, see you next year. Okay. Although, I guess for the listeners, then it won't. True, it won't work. Ah, unless we go fifty-one and a half weeks without recording. Let's not do that. Yeah, okay, probably not. So I'll, I'll yeah, unfortunately, won't get to use that statement. So either way, though, not a whole lot happening. The Brewers, though, are now the only team that has not signed a major league free agent. The Marlins signed old friend Gene Segura, um, and so he got he got two years, seventeen, which I thought was a pretty reasonable deal. But it leaves the Brewers as the only team without signing a free agent a major league free agent um i say we it's really just until k-rod signs yep probably what march 22nd and then probably late late march probably although in our poll on twitter um the highest percentage of responders said trevor rosenthal would be the their first major league you should signing. have should have the rosenthal shirt I should have. Yeah. I wore. I wore yesterday. I think actually. <laughs> That's right. So for today we have we have a different version of trivia. Um, so I'm going to be asking Peter, did each of the following players play for the Brewers? And he has to determine whether that player did or did not. We're going to start with that. Um, we're going to talk about how the new rules might impact the Brewers. So they have the the pitch clock coming in which includes not only the pitchers de- delivering within a certain amount of time but also the hitters being in the box within a certain amount of time limits on pickoffs are included in that pace of play um, and then the bases are going to be bigger for stolen bases that could could impact it like we saw in the minor leagues the shift uh, limits on the shift that could play a big role especially in guys like Rowdy Jesse Wink or Christian Yelich we're going to talk about that and then lastly we're going to talk about couple brewers that have retired over the past year, Jonathan Lucroy and Lorenzo Cain, who came up together with the brewers. And then a little bit of fact, fact or fiction will round out the episode. So we're going to go ahead and get started with the trivia. Five players. I'll give the listeners a hint or a clue because I gave Peter um, the, uh, the guidance that three of the five players on here played for the brewers. So three played and two did not and we're going to start with the first one, pitcher Charles Nagy. Did Charles, Charles Nagy, Nagy pitch for the Brewers? Always think of him as an Indian, of course. I'm going to go with yes. Did, did he play for the Brewers? That is incorrect. incorrect. He, played, he played about 15 years in the majors, including um, in uh, allowing the walk-off to Edgar Renteria in 97 of the uh, Craig Council-led Florida Marlins. But he spent all but one year in Cleveland, and I forget, I forget where he spent the last year of his career, but it was not in Milwaukee. So Charles Nagy did not play for the Brewers. Number two is Felipe Alou. I'm going to go with <laughs> with no on, on uh, Felipe Alou. <laughs> Over two already. <laughs> he, uh, he seems like a guy that wouldn't because of when he played. He played for 
the Milwaukee Braves, right. but he also finished his career in Milwaukee with the Brewers. He played a partial year in 1974 with the team, and then he retired after that first Dominican-born MLB manager. I'm actually kind of glad that was a yes, because if it was a no and three out of five, true. I was like, that, yeah. that kind of ruins the, that is uh, true. The, the game. But who's number three here? Number three is center fielder Devon White. I'm going to go Yes. That's correct. He was on the uh, inaugural Miller Park team in 2001. Part-time player, played about 400 at-bats, and he was was still pretty good defensively. He had like a 760 OPS, which was like second or third on the team, even though he was 38 already. I didn't realize how good he was. He was worth about 50 war over his career, seven-time gold glover, three-time World Series champion, twice with the Blue Jays and once with Florida Marlins. Is he almost a Mike Cameron comp? Yeah, maybe maybe just a little bit better, um, more a little bit more of a glove-oriented player, um, but but fairly similar to Mike Cameron. Number four is Kevin Mitchell. Kevin Mitchell, I think of the uh, the barehanded grab, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna go no, he did not. That is correct. Kevin Mitchell did not play for the Brewers. He was actually an MVP. I did not realize that he had yeah. quite that good of a career. Yeah. But he was an MVP, and he was also a member of the '86 Mets, which is where he came up before he. Really took off in San Francisco. The last one, I guess, you might already know it since I told you how many are are right. Julio Franco, who played until he was 71 years old yes, back in 2007. This was actually the one looking at the list I immediately knew did play for the Brewers because I was thinking of that, I don't know what year that was, early 2000s baseball card of him. 97, actually. Really? He was with the Brewers. I, I thought the picture of that card being in the... Like a 2000, 2001 card, but I can picture that card. And then I, I actually remember as a kid seeing that card from, like you said, from 97 mm-hmm. and then like seeing another card from of his from like the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And I like I, I thought there was a different person. Yeah. I mean, he played until he was 49. Um, and I was I was thinking a little bit. He played till he was 49. Uh, Jamie Moyer played till he was 49. Um, if Jeff Jenkins played till he was 49, he'd be he'd be calling it quits after the 2023 <laughs> season. So goes to show um, just how how durable, I guess, and how long yeah. um, those two, specifically Julio Franco, was able to play, playing until 07. And he won the batting title, actually, in the late 90s. Um, also not with the Brewers. That was one of his, his worst years. And he only spent a half year in Milwaukee. So that rounds out our... Our, um, we, we need a, a catchy name for yeah, this. Like we'll the, have to... Who's like the most random... Tim like, Monroe? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, good player who played for the Brewers barely. Like, uh, Curtis Granderson. The Curtis Granderson challenge. Yeah. The uh, the Dave Parker challenge. The Willie Randolph challenge, maybe. Those are good ones. One of those. Yeah. We'll, we'll go to Twitter on, on, on okay. the answer to, the, to that. But, but yeah. Uh, I guess I was, what, three for five? That was all right. Better than I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. Those were... I, Charles Nagy, I, I did, I didn't, didn't think he had, but I almost felt like I had to guess it because I thought Felipe Alou didn't even hardly play in the era of the Brewers. But oh well, three for five. So I, th- this next segment, I'm actually really excited for talking about the rule changes and how they may impact. We already broke down the rule changes on a prior podcast back when those were announced, but you did a great job of taking a look at analyzing how the stolen base rule specifically could impact the Brewers. Uh, they're looking at the shift. Of course, guys like Christian Yelich and Rowdy Telez and how that'll impact them. Actually, Winker now too as well with the Brewers. And then I think one that's under the radar I haven't heard talked about a lot is the change in schedule too. Brewers mm-hmm. now playing a lot less against the NL Central. And you'd think that would just even out. But 
we may have been a little bit spoiled in the lackluster mm-hmm. NL Central the last couple of years. So I think that does play actually against the Brewers' favor going into the 23 mm-hmm. season. Um, and yeah, excited to, to talk about that. So let's start with stolen bases. Uh, this was an interesting one. And the Brewers don't have a ton of guys who are, are big stolen base guys. Of course, we traded Asturi Ruiz away, but Garrett Mitchell, one of the best uh, base runners. And actually, you had tweeted out, David, that Mitchell had the best home to first time in all of baseball. So mm-hmm. certainly has some speed um, and, and was eight for eight last year in stolen base attempts. So that certainly, I think, if, if you were to think of one guy, Assuming Mitchell gets regular playing time, we'll see mm-hmm. how he performs. But um, is, is he, I guess, the guy that you would think would be most impacted by this rule, or do you think that more so be Yelich or, or Adames or someone else? Rowdy, perhaps. Rowdy might go from what, one steal to two point. Yeah, he might double it. Two point two seven was yeah. was uh, the increase in AAA and steal attempts. Um, so perhaps perhaps Rowdy might see two or three steals even next year if he's feeling a little bit ambitious. I think Mitchell would be the obvious one. I'm interested to see does it does it does it uh, does it aid the the high end base runners more, or is it the ones that are on the verge of stealing, like maybe get eight to ten steal attempts a year, and instead now they're attempting eighteen to twenty. Who does it who does it affect the most? Um, we won't really know that until until we actually see the um, the rules play out. But I think I think it would be the most obvious to say that Mitchell will benefit the most from it. Which do you think? Would just based off of going into the season, do you think it it does more so benefit the elite base runners, or do you think it is more of I don't know maybe the Adames mm-hmm. type? I think it is more the elite base runners because the way that front offices and and coaching staffs view everything as kind of a like a a risk reward equation almost. Um, you have to be about seventy three percent successful for it to work, and there are a lot of factors at play, such as you know your your lineup, who's up to bat, how many outs, all those sorts of things. Um, but also, I think those really good base runners will be given the green light maybe almost always, and so instead of saying, well, you can steal in these specific situations, now they'll be given the green light to steal in really almost any situation. If Garrett Mitchell, who perhaps would be an 80% success rate type stolen base um, runner. Perhaps now he goes to about 85 to, to even maybe maybe 90. Um, and that's a huge difference, and that's going to make it such that he's really helping the Brewers pretty much any time he steals uh, because if you're successful 85 to 90%, it's going to be worth it almost every time. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't know if I'm the only one who didn't realize that all these rules were in place in the minor leagues uh, prior mm-hmm. to prior to this year, I didn't realize that. I, I knew the pitch clock, I knew some of those things, but didn't realize the shift really was in place, and mm-hmm. especially the pickoff rules that, that I didn't realize mm-hmm. at all. Um, so it, you have some some numbers as far as what what we saw from a difference in the minor leagues and how that change in the rules mm-hmm. impacted the game as far as stolen base attempts, strategy, success rate, all those things. Mm-hmm. Why don't you share a little bit about that, and then we can kind of extrapolate mm-hmm. based off of that sure. how that might impact the the twenty three season. Yeah, in twenty nineteen. The average AAA team stole 0.9 um, stolen base attempts per game, so that 0.9 per team per game, and that increased to 2.05 in 2022, which was the first full year where where both leagues the whole year had these new rules. Um, so that's an increase by 2.27 times. Um, the success rate also increased from 70 to 78.5 percent. So in MLB, the uh, the stolen base rate or the attempt rate was considerably lower it was 0.64 but even if it even if it multiplies by 2.27 times that'd be 1.45 per game 
per team per game. We haven't seen that rate in a very long time. Success rate, of course, that one's a little more variable since it was already at 75%. Uh, we would see it even out, of course, based on how successful they are. So I calculated if, if stolen bases did increase by that much and the success rate increased to about 80%, um, how much would a couple of the Brewers' biggest base stealers steal in 2023? Well, Yelich stole about 18 bags last year. So Yelich would steal about 40. Um, how likely is that? I don't know. Um, we'll see, I guess, how it how it takes place. But um, perhaps as a leadoff hitter, maybe full-time, that might even enable him to steal a couple more bags. Garrett Mitchell, we were saying, was 8 for 8, but in very limited playing time. Just coming up late in the year. Pro-rated across the whole year, and with the new rules, 73 stolen bases for Mitchell. That one, of course, um, could could vary a lot. I think that one's more likely than than Yelich stealing 40. But at the same time, we haven't seen Mitchell over a full year, so um, that number could could be lower, could be higher. Plus, I mean, he'd have to obviously hit enough to get in mm-hmm. the lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even obviously we saw Billy Hamilton, who could obviously mm-hmm. steal bases like just about no one, mm-hmm. no one else, uh, if he can't hit or get on mm-hmm. base doesn't really matter so Mitchell certainly will have to prove himself but mm-hmm. he does definitely have that advantage over the other outfield prospects mm-hmm. yeah and Willie Adame stole about nine or ten bags last year um, so even seeing Adame steal 20 would be a big increase um, and, and it could even change the way that the game is played um, could allow teams to be less reliant on the home run ball we saw the Brewers be very reliant on the home run ball Hunter Renfro was shipped off to the Angels did that maybe play a role in them wanting to um, trade Renfro away, will uh, will singles be more valuable than they've been in the past because more runners now are on second base because of the, the stolen base rules? Maybe. Um, I don't know if that maybe informed their decision or not, but it is possible that we see the Brewers maybe return to rates um, as, as low as we've seen since, um, was that, I should know this, I think it was 2016 when the Brewers had VR stealing 62 bags Hernan yeah. Perez stole like 38 yeah um and and they were outside of Chris Carter not very reliant on the long ball yeah very different team certainly than than it is today and I was even trying to think about the last Brewers manager that was stealing oriented because Bill Garner right I mean because I mean council hasn't mm-hmm. and it's been a, it's been a general I mean it's been a shift in, in baseball mm-hmm. it's not just Brewers managers but yeah it's it's been a while and you've always said that you enjoy that part of the game mm-hmm. I think I think we do, and actually, I think one of the points you even had down later is to talk about whether we think that what the reactions from the fans will be mm-hmm. based off of all the rule changes. But I think stolen bases, if we do see more stolen base, more stolen bases, I think are good for the game, mm-hmm. and but but so are stolen base attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it, it it will end up being good. I don't know. I still am not a huge fan of the pickoff rule, but we'll see how that plays out. And mm-hmm. like I said, it's already been in play in the minor leagues. As well. Yeah, one of a, I think it was a Braves minor league um, pitcher said that the pickoff rule didn't really make much of an impact. He said that he said that he didn't really notice anything. You just have to think a little bit more about your uh, your pickoff attempts, and so maybe that maybe that does play some role, even if you don't think about it. But um, but I, I think that one might be a little bit overstated in the the wariness that fans have, um, and also I I believe that the uh, the last team to steal. 250 bases in a year was the 92 Brewers, actually, huh. uh, led by Pat Listash winning the uh, Rookie of the Year with, I think, 60 or 70, 60 or 70 stolen bases that year. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So, 
that's just one of the, the rule changes. Another one, of course, will be the change in the schedule. So why don't you share briefly just what that change will be uh, across baseball? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in 2023, instead of playing 76 games against your own division, uh, that number will be down to 52. So 24 intra-divisional games will be lost. And instead, every team will play every team across the league. So the Brewers will play all 15 AL teams for either three or four games. So essentially, instead of playing one division in the AL, they'll play all three um, for, for about a series worth of games. So that could impact the Brewers' numbers. Specifically, the the more recent years, we've seen really bad uh, teams put out by Pittsburgh and by Cincinnati. Um, and even the Cubs haven't been great over the last year or two. So that has maybe inflated the Brewers' stats a little bit. The Brewers, of course, have been very good against those teams. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's good that they're doing that. You think about modern sports now with NBA, NFL, NHL, the, the major sports. Mm-hmm. You want to see the matchups. I mean, how many times can we think about Mike Trout playing the Brewers? Like, mm-hmm. Hardly ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so even three games a year is not going to be a lot, but at least it's you get a chance to see mm-hmm. Mike Trout you know, every other year, roughly. Mm-hmm um at home so it's good for the game and i would i mean the the roots of playing so many games in your division came down to traveling and Mm -hmm. the logistical challenges Mm -hmm. with the way that the world is in baseball is it's not really a factor as much Mm -hmm. anymore so i think it's well overdue but like you said i I think it could impact the brewers negatively given the reds given the pirates and the cubs Um, just last year the brewers uh, weighted runs created plus as a whole in their offense was 101 uh, against all non-NL Central teams, ERA 3.89. If you look at that compared to the Brewers' numbers uh, in the NL Central, the Brewers' weighted runs created plus was 118, again, compared to that 101, and a team ERA 3.76 mm-hmm. compared, to, compared to that 3.89 against non-NL Central teams. Do, do you expect those numbers to to look similar next year? Uh, not necessarily the, the numbers themselves, but perhaps the difference between interdivision mm-hmm. versus outside. Possibly. Um, I think that the other teams in the division might be a little bit better. We saw the Cubs. Um, they went out and got Dansby. They've in- improved their pitching staff a little bit. And some of the young guys are coming up in especially Pittsburgh, but also a little bit Cincinnati. So those teams might not be quite as easy as they've been in years past. But I think the biggest difference will be that there are 24 games where now instead of facing the NL Central, which the other four teams in the NL Central had a combined winning percentage of 449. And if you look at all the AL, um, they, they played the AL East last year. So if you look at all the AL Central and the AL West teams that they'll be adding into the schedule for next year, the combined winning percentage was 481. Even just taking those two winning percentages and taking the difference of them, it's about two to maybe three wins for the Brewers, but also the NL East teams or the NL West teams even might benefit because now they're playing a little bit of weaker competition. Yeah, there are a couple of the the basement dwellers in each of those divisions, but they're extremely competitive with the teams that are at the top. So um, instead of beating up on each other, I mean, think of the NL East where we had had the the Braves who won the division. We have the Mets who won 100 games last year, and then they added a little bit to their roster. And then the Phillies who won the NL pennant. So they'll be playing each other a little bit less. Um, so they might benefit. So I think that could come into play also when we're talking about wild card contention. A few specific players that it could impact. Keep in mind the sample sizes are a little bit small. So some of the, the numbers might be more drastic than what their, what their true um, talent levels might seem to indicate. Um, Keston last year had an OPS over 200 points better 
against the division. Caratini had a, an OPS of 853 within the division and 539 outside the division. Rowdy had an OPS um, in both 21 and 22 of about 150 points better within the division than outside the division. Um, and Willie Adames even last year had an OPS about 100 points better against the NL Central. So we see these numbers, we see the team numbers as a whole, and while maybe hitters might hit a little bit better within the division anyways, the pitchers also, I mean, they their numbers aren't quite as drastic of a difference, but they were still better within the division. Um, I think it could be something that nobody's really talking about much, but could impact the way that the playoff race shakes out, could maybe even um, be the reason why some players end up having a little bit of, of worse numbers that they put up in 2023. Yeah, I think that's very much a, a fair statement that that's certainly a possibility. And let's look at our, our third uh, rule change and how that'll impact the Brewers. And that's the shift. And I think we're really looking at three hitters here, Telez, mm-hmm. Yelich, and Winker. But maybe, David, why don't you share some some thoughts about the numbers as far as how often these, these guys were pulling the ball, what their batting averages were, and then how can we sort of extrapolate mm-hmm. what that might look like next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll start with Rowdy since he was the one that had the most dramatic numbers in terms of how often he was shifted. 78% of the time he was shifted and Rowdy hit just 090 on pulled ground balls. The league average was 210 on pulled ground balls when there was no shift on. So these are players um, who also typically don't hit the ball quite as hard as some of these hitters like Rowdy, like Yalich, like Jesse Winker. Um, on Rowdy's uh, 090 pulled ground balls, if you if you took that and, and instead he hit 210 on the pulled ground balls, his numbers, instead of hitting 219, he would have hit 242 with an on-base instead of 306, 326. So I think that's a pretty pretty different picture that you see, especially he's kind of right on that verge of like pretty good hitter. Um, I think that's a, that's a much better line, and there's some other reasons to indicate that Rowdy might take a step forward even beyond the shift. Yeah, I know. It's a completely different hitter, I think, if mm-hmm. he's strictly batting average alone, which I know isn't everything, but a 219 hitter versus a 242 hitter, a guy hitting, you know, sub mm-hmm. two, sub 220, yeah, the power's there, but all of a sudden he's hitting 240. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more acceptable to, mm-hmm. to, to do that with mm-hmm. the, the power that he had. So certainly that's a dramatic shift, and would that actually translate exactly to that? No, but I think it, it does get us an idea of the sizable impact that the mm-hmm. shift could have. Yeah, Yelich even might not be quite as drastic. Rowdy, um, given those averages, would add 12 hits to his 2022 season totals. Yelich would add nine hits if he hit like the league average um, against non-shifts. And that would even improve his batting average from 252 to 268. So that could be like, I mean, nine hits isn't isn't huge. Um, it's only one hit every two to three weeks. Um, if you think about it that way, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the difference between a 252 hitter and a 268 hitter, I mean, that's like maybe what half a million dollars worth of value with yeah. the way that contracts are structured now. So even getting a little bit of that marginal extra value, um, from Yelich could be worth it, um, or, or, or could make the contract more worth it, could make him a more valuable hitter. And we know he's not the guy that's going to hit 40 home runs, but could maybe get him back on track to being, the the pretty good player the the guy that's maybe the catalyst at the top of the lineup yeah certainly and and jesse winker of course not with the brewers last year had a pretty significant down year last year in seattle we, we mentioned that on a, mm-hmm. a prior podcast breaking down that acquisition of winker but I, I think it's fair to say that 
that likely will impact him as well. Mm-hmm. I know your calculation showed adding four hits, so not quite as dramatic as mm-hmm. the others, but nonetheless, he pulls the bar, ball a lot. He hits the ball harder than the mm-hmm. average player. So it's it's mm-hmm. definitely going to bode well uh, for him. Anything else on, on the rule change or how you think that the net impact might be for the Brewers looking mm-hmm. at it for next year? It's tough to say because the Brewers shift a lot. Every team shifts a lot. I think one thing it might do on the defensive side of the ball is it might require some more athleticism defensively, especially up the middle, second base and shortstop. We've seen the Travis Shaws and the Mike Moustakis of the world um, suit up at second base because of the shift. They, they're they able to handle it. I think because of the range that they have to cover now, that's a little bit less likely to see that going forward. Um, Willie Adamas' range was kind of in line with league average, so how that how that impacts his uh defensive value i'm not really quite sure but i think we will see a little bit more of a shift towards maybe not maybe not the uh the second baseman that hits 200 with a three home runs but is a good defensive player but maybe back a little bit towards the athleticism and the traditional second baseman like like scooter Jeanette, uh maybe players like that scooter Jeanette, i forgot about him Mm -hmm. it's good Good baseball name. Good. Mm-hmm. Certainly, he was definitely a gamer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know he's a gamer when he's got the the athletic tape around uh-huh. the, the, ri- the, the wrist tape wrist with tape. the eye black. Eye oh, black. yeah, eye Don't black. Forget. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. good combination. Uh, so let's move on here. Uh, our, our final topic here, the Brewers, two Brewers, former Brewers, I should say, who have retired over the past year, Jonathan Lucroy and Lorenzo Cain, both well-renowned, well-loved Brewers uh, from their careers. Lucroy didn't appear in any games this year, but officially retired at the end of this year. And then, of course, we know how Lorenzo Cain's season went down last mm-hmm. year. Of course, struggled early in the year. Sounds like afterwards, maybe there was, I don't know, some not a great relationship between Cain and the Brewers organization, at least at that point. And so they decided to part ways, which I think probably was best for everybody at that point. Um, but certainly both great Brewers careers. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about Jonathan Lucroy first, and maybe some some favorite memories that you had from Lucroy. I, I know both of us growing up as Brewers fans in that era, he really was the Brewers' best player, one of the best mm-hmm. players for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly a lot of memories. What what are some of those that come to mind for you? Yeah, uh, he was really my first true favorite player. I know he became a fan favorite, um, and I would say, I mean, I was I was still growing up probably. Probably after 20, maybe during or after 2011, I really started to like Lucroy. And he had that reputation of just being like the the clean cut catcher that everyone liked. He, he played the game hard and was very, very consistent. Um, he, he wasn't flashy or anything. Um, so he was he was that fan favorite. But he also carried the Brewers from the team that had um, that had Braun and Fielder and the 2011 team. But then even just a couple years later, Fielder's gone, Grinky's gone. Gallardo's maybe not quite the same. Braun, of course, had the, the injuries and then the suspension. So Lucroy and Gomez, I, I think, kind of got Brewers fans through that era. They still were competitive in especially 2014 before they faded down the stretch. And, and Lucroy was a huge reason mm-hmm. why that happened. Um, my favorite memory, I would say like singular memory of him, would be the walk-off squeeze play when he um, he was batting. And he it was, a I think, a suicide squeeze. Because if I remember, the runner on third was stealing. Um, of course, um, kind of a random moment, I guess. Um, a, a suicide squeeze. I couldn't tell you the last time the Brewers successfully ran a suicide squeeze. Um, but that would be that would probably be my favorite memory. I also remember the walk-off home run off Chapman when Chapman was on the Reds. Yeah, <clears throat> that's that, that's the one that comes to mind 
the home run off off Chapman because that was was that Chapman's first year. It was when he was younger, at least yeah. maybe maybe twenty twelve or thirteen. Yeah, yeah, but certainly was a powerhouse in the back end of the bullpen. That was that was a fun one, and I think it's interesting to know too that that he really uh, he didn't invent, but he really brought up pitch framing and what mm-hmm. pitch framing is. At least to my knowledge, it wasn't really talked about before mm-hmm. Luke Roy was catching for the Brewers and became something that was more talked about, mm-hmm. more emphasized. And I know we, we've referenced this probably several times on the podcast, the, the difference between fan graphs, wins above replacement, and baseball reference wins above replacement. One of the big ones is framing. So mm-hmm. I, I know Luke Roy has a much there's – a, there's a big spread in his wins above replacement, mm-hmm. renowned as one of the uh-huh. really, really good pitch framers. Yeah. I think on fan graphs, he's fourth in Brewers history in wins above replacement, um, behind only only Yount, Molitor, and, and Braun. Um, baseball reference, because, yeah, they don't include include catcher framing – um, isn't quite as bullish on him. I do remember there was someone, kind of a distant relative of ours, that I was wearing a Lucroy shirt, and he came up to me, not a Brewers fan, and said, oh, my son just sent me an article. This would have been back in 2012, probably, about how Lucroy is the best pitch-framing catcher and how it's kind of this new thing that coaches are starting to train their catchers, front offices are starting to look for. And I think Lucroy, yeah, he kind of was the – like the guy at the front of that movement, whether or not he was truly the best. Um, there's, of course, some others, Russell Martin, Brian McCann also. But I think Lucroy was the first one known for that. Yeah, I mean, McCann certainly had the bigger bat, mm-hmm. especially earlier on. So, yeah. And, I mean, even to think about, we were talking before the, the, the show that Lucroy, of course, was sent to Houston with Carlos Gomez. No, I'm sorry. Around that, that, around, around Texas, that time. Yeah. Texas, yeah, uh-huh. since Texas. Um, but but sent back the Brewers, Lewis Brinson, who then mm-hmm. turned around and the Brewers flipped him for uh, Christian Yelich, of course. Mm-hmm. And you were you were commenting the Brewers were talking about extending Lucroy, and at the time it seemed like a good move. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, everybody loves Lucroy, and it was hard to imagine a, a player like him of his caliber to, to fall off. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, as steeply mm-hmm. as he did, he really did have his good years with the Brewers. Mm-hmm. And you were commenting the Brewers would have just finished that five year extension this year. Mm-hmm. To think about Lucroy still being on the Brewers. I mean, him and Jeff Jenkins going out together. True, that's true. That would have been quite quite memorable. Mm-hmm. And the Brewers winning, and Axford, yeah, maybe. and the Brewers winning seventy eight games as long as well. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe. but I, even the or or even the the thought that Martin Maldonado would have a, a better stretch mm-hmm. after that um, than Lucroy, mm-hmm. very very shocking. Um, so certainly certainly will be a. What are the the Wall of Honor, Walk of Honor, Hall of Honor, yeah. Hall of <laughs> Hall of Fame, uh-huh. all lumped in there? Whatever, yeah. Whatever the Brewers decide, he'll be he'll be certainly renowned. Some he should number be, retirement. Yeah, <laughs> no, he should be he should be everything under number retirement. Yeah. So there's or statue, so, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah, statue, I guess, would be yeah. over number yeah. retirement. Even Molitor doesn't have a statue. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, well, I think he's already on the Wall of Honor. And then I think he should go into the Walk of Fame, which are the the home plates around the the outside of Miller Park, where they've got like Euchre and Gorman, Harry Dalton, Seelig. yeah, yeah, all those the uh, the bigger names. That one's more prestigious, and I think Luke Roy belongs there. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the the top brewers of even the two thousands, I mean, mm-hmm. he's top five. Yeah, definitely. So, so yeah, I think about, I mean think about the Brewers franchise as a whole the last you know fifty so years. Yeah, he's. I don't know. What is he? A top, top ten, top fifteen, top ten position player, probably. Yeah, certainly position player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so certainly made his impact on the Brewers, uh, much like Lorenzo Kane, of course, uh, who came up with the Brewers, similar time frame as Luke Roy, of course. The Brewers sending him to Kansas City for Grinky, mm-hmm. and then Kane 
coming back. A lot of memories. I think of the the defense, of course, mm-hmm. the the robbed home runs, mm-hmm. the the game ending robbed home run. Mm-hmm. Was that against Cubs? Um, St. Louis, St. Louis in uh, opening day. I think it was opening yeah. day of 2019. Yep. Oh, I was I was sick that day. I sick. yes, I I got sick. It was the first day I got sick of the whole school year. In uh, later on in high school, and none of my teachers believed me that I was actually sick on opening day, uh, but I was, and I was driving to uh, the doctor, listening to the radio, Bob Uecker's call of, of Lorenzo Cain um, and, and robbing that home run. I would have to say that my favorite memory of Cain was his go-ahead single in game 163 against the Cubs. I think really anything surrounding that game in in on the, the last decade mm-hmm. probably is going to fall under best memories for, for almost any player. Um, but that would, that would fall under, I would say, my favorite memory. Of uh, of Lorenzo Cain as a Brewer, though there certainly were many. Yeah, I, I think about even the some of the the, the crazy base running plays. Mm-hmm. Certainly stole his bases yeah. while we were talking earlier about stolen bases. But the what was that the like the reverse steal that he had? Yeah, was it Yelich that was on base with him? Yeah, so it was it was a uh, Yelich hitting. Cain was on second, ground ball up the middle. Cain um, started going to third, gotten a rundown, and so Yelich being the uh, the trail runner, he just kept running so that he'd at least be at second. Um, but then, of course, all the Cubs congregated between second and third. So when Kane was getting forced back to second, since Yelich was already there, Yelich was about a step off the bag and ran back to first, first and second now, and nobody's out. And then he did the same play against the Cubs a year later. The Kane did, yeah, yeah. which yeah. which I think might be the most uh, most impressive part that they didn't they didn't figure it out a second time. Um, that would yeah, I guess that would, that would probably be number two for me. The, the base running plays as, as inconsequential as it is like right it, it, but that but that summed up Lorenzo uh-huh. like if you could sum up Lorenzo Kane in like three plays it would probably be that play him robbing a home run uh-huh he, he, he had that opening day one and he also had the one with the sprained ankle yeah when he was uh that was the last series of the year in 2019 he he yeah he slid into into home he was already banged up yeah and he um I think he sprained his ankle and then he robbed a home run the next inning yeah I think if you could sum it up, mm-hmm. and maybe the, the the RBI single in Game One Sixty Three was, uh, and I think just the quiet leadership mm-hmm. uh, that he had mm-hmm. on a Brewers team that you know was was good and definitely had some good players, mm-hmm. but it, certainly he was one of the leaders in the clubhouse, and he will be missed certainly by the Brewers, and it's weird to think about that that he won't be back um, mm-hmm. coming into next year. So certainly some good times with Jonathan Lucroy and Lorenzo Kane. I can I can picture your Jonathan Lucroy rookie card that you bought that was like. Mm-hmm. A, a big deal when you got that card. Mm-hmm. Got it signed at Brewers on That's deck. That's right. Waited in line for like. He two was always hours. and he was always at, at any of those mm-hmm. on deck or other signings. Mm-hmm. He was always super nice mm-hmm. um, guy as well. Same with Kane. Mm-hmm. And and actually, quick plug for our our uh, podcast episode we did uh, previously mm-hmm. um, with the Lorenzo Kane phone call. We'll have to link that uh, to the link that into the show notes. Um, but when we brought on our guest, mm-hmm. um, he shared his his story of uh, getting a chance to talk on the phone with Lorenzo Cain. Certainly seemed like a down to earth player as well. So f- finally, here let's let's move into our fact or fiction here. A couple of these related to some of the rule changes here. Number one, Garrett Mitchell will steal for forty bases in twenty twenty two. I'm gonna go fact. Okay, it's going fact. I'm gonna go fiction. Okay, thirty uh, maybe forty. It's a bit of a stretch, but. I'll go fiction on that. Number two, Christian Yelich will post his highest batting average since 2019. I'm going to also go fact. I'll go fact as well, given the the shift changes. We'll see if that makes uh, enough of a difference. Rowdy Telez, he will lead the Brewers in OPS. I'm going to also go fact. All right, I'm going fiction on that one. Okay. I'll take I'll take maybe Adames 
Maybe Garrett Mitchell since he's going to yeah. steal 73 bags too. Um, and number four, only one NL Central team will make the postseason. Going fact again. I think that's a fact as well. I think it's unlikely we see mm-hmm. a wild card. We saw how good the East was. You still have, of course, Dodgers, Padres in the West. I mean, we look at the mm-hmm. playoff landscape. On paper, both the Dodgers and Padres certainly should make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. The Giants, it is an odd year next year, so we're probably all right um, with the, the Giants. But I think you've got those two in the West, of course, that certainly on paper should be locks. And you've got three competitive teams in the East mm-hmm. that are likely to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it's kind of division or bust this year in the Central. And I think it's I think it's likely, of course, Brewers, Cardinals mm-hmm. in that in that spot. Number five here, our final fact or fiction. We touched on this a little bit, but the general reaction among baseball fans regarding the rule changes will be positive after the year. Going to go with the clean sweep. I'm going to go fact again. I'm not sure how we'll track the uh, the general the general consensus, yeah. um, but uh, but I I'll go fact as Gallup well. poll maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Will they mail you something with like a dollar if you yeah, fill out the survey, go. some like TV survey from there? We go from like the the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that I think that will be a fact, especially after uh, talking about the, the stolen base changes. I, I think even if I think even if stolen base percentage or success rate, I should say, maintains mm-hmm. a same similar rate, mm-hmm. even if we just see an increase in attempts, that I think will be positive for the game, and it'll put more weight. I don't necessarily know that we need more weight, I guess, on the defensive side of catching, but it's been so much emphasized on the framing because we mm-hmm. talked about that really over the last ten years that it'll put more of an emphasis back on throwing runners out that hasn't been mm-hmm. as much of a mm-hmm. focus which again may or may not necessarily help the brewers with william Contreras getting more time behind the dish likely mm-hmm. than than caratini or others so we'll see i i think that the shift should help the brewers given a couple of those big bats the schedule should be a little bit tougher mm-hmm. and then stolen bases i think i could see that going either way i think garrett mitchell is probably a little bit of the wild card in that if he's getting every day at bats and getting on base enough to get opportunities to steal it could actually help the brewers so as always, we'll keep you covered here, and we'll make it through to the spring training, actually. Spring training, not not too far from, from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll certainly have all things covered. Maybe the Brewers will sign someone to a major league deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. But we'll have to have a, a breaking news podcast if mm-hmm. they do. But until then, this is Peter and David Go signing off as always. Go Brewers! listening to the barrel banter we'd appreciate it if you leave a comment or review so we can get the word out about our show to hear more find us on youtube at the barrel or on twitter at the barrel mke we look forward to connecting with you next time